And while they're leaving, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Revelation 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to talk about worship this morning. We are in between series. Next week, we begin our march toward Easter. Uh, Easter is only in five weeks, which seems kind of amazing to me. Um, and so we're going to start in our movement toward Easter. We're going to really uh, move toward Easter with, with Lent. Lent is the, the season in leading up toward Easter, and we are going to go back into the Gospel of John, and we are going to look at Jesus in the Passion Narratives. Then on Easter Sunday, we'll look at the Resurrection, and then we'll continue until uh, we finish with the Gospel of John. So we're really excited about that. So what I want to do is take you to John chapter 4, and I want to I show you this picture of worship that we have from this, uh, this wonderful uh, part of the New Testament. John gives us a story of a preview of a worship encounter in heaven, and so here's how it begins. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, and with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the the appearance of an emerald. Now, to really appreciate this, what I think we need to think about is a movie trailer. John is about to give us a preview of a worship event in heaven. And that worship event is big, it's grand, it's amazing, and all we're getting is a brief snapshot of that event. That's like a movie trailer. Movie trailers are designed to whet your appetite for a movie. So the Motion Picture Association of America says movie trailers can be no more than two minutes and 30 seconds. That's it. And while you're sitting there watching the movie trailer, they've got to capture your attention so you would turn to the person next to you and say, we have to see that movie. That's going to be an amazing movie. Like I'm thinking about the fact that Downton Abbey, the movie, is about to come out. Did you know that? Downton Abbey, the movie, is going to come out. I haven't seen the trailer yet, but you know, I'm going to see that trailer and go, Cindy, we've we got to see that. We've got to see that. That's what John 4, 1 through 11 is like. It is a snapshot of a, of a big, amazing worship event in heaven. But all we're getting is the amazing movie trailer. But there's a lot we can discern from that, that, that movie, that trailer. So there's, there's three scenes we're going to look at. And scene one is the overview of heaven. And scene two, the verse I just read to you, look at the last line on the screens. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one was seated on the throne. That, that is the picture in heaven that John wants us to see. Now, that picture is filled with all sorts of amazement because what we see is there is a throne, meaning somebody is in charge, meaning somebody has authority, meaning somebody is calling the shots. We also know that that person is personal. This is not the impersonal God of Buddhism. This is not the vague God of liberal Christianity. This is not one of the the gods of Hinduism. This is an infinite personal being who's ruling, who's calling the shots, and where is he? He's in heaven. 
A lot of times we think about heaven as being a place. Like, okay, so it's got to be up there like near the, near the Andromeda galaxy, but sort of close to the Sombrero galaxy. Yes, there is one. You know, I mean, there's got to be a place where there's, a, there, that's where heaven is. You know, it's a big sign that says heaven in, in that place. That's not, that's not heaven. He, the Bible defines heaven in four ways. And one of the ways that the Bible defines heaven as is God's rule over all reality. In other words, heaven is where God is. Where's God? Everywhere. So heaven is the invisible space of reality, and it's the God who occupies that space and rules over that space. So when Jesus says, our Father who art in, literally in Greek, it's the heavens, it's our Father who's very near. He's very near. And so God who rules over all of space now is revealing himself in this particular place and is revealing himself to us so that we get, we whet our appetite for what's, what's there in heaven. Now, a second thing I want you to see about this is that there is an open door. And that, that is incredible. It's incredible. Because the symbolism behind this open door is that there's an open heaven, not a closed heaven. You know, if you want to get to see the President of the United States, good luck. You cannot knock on the door of the White House. You cannot mosey on up to the Oval Office. You can't say, yeah, is, is the President here? I, I've got something I want to talk to. No, you, can't, you can't do that because he has multiple layers of authority, multiple layers of protection, multiple layers of people around him. Same is true with any famous person. You can't go see Tom Brady if you want. You can't go see LeBron James if you want. You can't go see Jordan Spieth if you want. The more important the person, the more the layers of protection there are that surround them. So when God reveals himself, he reveals himself with an open door and an open heaven and an invitation. And the invitation given by Jesus is, is trumpet-like. And, the, and I love it because it's, it's not like, all right, come on in. Come on up here, you bad people. I guess, we'll, I guess you can come in. It's not that way at all. It's, it's like this ringing invitation. You are wanted. You are desired. So this brief picture we have of heaven is a God who rules, a heaven that's open, a God who's personal, a God who wants fellowship with you. It's a great picture. And one, one more aspect of that picture is that there's a plan. Like, like it's, he's in the Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit has brought him there. The Holy Spirit has brought him there to see a purposeful plan. And the idea is that in heaven, it's not a static existence where you're on clouds with harps. You know, there's a... There's a ad out right now, you know, where, where they're in heaven and, and there's an you know, open harp night, you know, and is, is that a thing here in heaven, open harp night? Yeah, come on. It's, it's not like that. There is a purpose and it's a big, abundant, robust purpose that you have in heaven. The briefest scene is in John, uh, is in Revelation chapter four, verses one or two. 
So now we go to scene two. Scene two is much more complex. In scene two, there are two visions of God, and there are two visions of God's people. And, and let me show you the literary beauty of this scene, because it works like this. We have a picture of God in chapter 4, 2, and 3, a picture of humans in chapter 4, verse 4, a picture of God again in 4, 5, and 6, and a picture of angels. So it's God, humans, God, angels. It's, it's God and his creatures. And the whole point of this scene is that life in the new heavens and the new earth is filled with significant connection with God. So let, let's look at how God reveals himself. First, we have a vision of God. He who was sitting on the throne was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. Now, just stop there for a second because the ancient jasper stone was crystal clear like a diamond. The sardius stone was bright red like blood. And what John is doing in here is he's talking about the moral, holy purity of God, and he's talking about the necessity of sacrifice in light of that moral purity. And every ancient Israelite would have understood this. We don't handle blood that much unless you're a doctor or a nurse or, or an ER you know, doc. You don't, you don't handle blood that much. Ancient world, they, they saw blood all the time in the sacrificial system. So this, this Jasper and Stardius are saying something about the nature of God. He is holy. He's perfect. He's different than you. Sardius says you can't come to him except through sacrifice. The God who is holy cannot just say, sin's no big deal. Sure, you can come into my presence. Uh-uh. The God who is holy requires sacrifice in order for you to come into his presence. But now we go back to the rainbow around the throne. I, I tried to try to put a, a picture of a rainbow. That's not a very good picture of a rainbow. But the point of this rainbow is that it's green. It's predominantly, it has all the other colors to it, but it's predominantly green. And the greenness of the rainbow takes you back to the flood and the rainbow being the promise, the promise of peace. And the greenness of the rainbow says, come. Now, they didn't have stoplights and, and green lights back in the ancient world, right? But, but green was an invitation to come into one's presence. And the idea that the God who is holy and requires sacrifice has made that sacrifice, and now that rainbow that surrounds him says, you are accepted in me. You are righteous. Your sin has been permanently taken care of. Your sin has been permanently forgiven by my sacrifice on, on the cross. And so now we go from that vision of God to a vision of God's people. Around the throne, there were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns were on their heads. Look, this is you in heaven. It's you. Why 24? 12 tribes in Israel represented the nation Israel. 12 disciples in the New Testament represented the people of God. The 24 Old Testament leaders, the 24 New Testament leaders represent the leadership of the people in God, of God in heaven. Notice that uh, you are sitting on a throne, meaning that God has rewarded you. 
He's rewarded you as a joint heir with Christ, and he's rewarded you with significant leadership opportunity in heaven. Notice that you're clothed in white, meaning your sins have been taken care of. Notice that you have, you have crowns, you have a possession that you own, something on your head, representing a kind of reward and a kind of leadership that you do under the delegated authority of the God of the universe. It's an amazing amazing scene. Now you may say, well, I don't think of myself as a leader. I don't know if I want to lead in heaven. I just want to kind of be, I want to kind of want to be there and enjoy people. I am telling you that you will love the leadership authority that God has given to you in heaven. You'll love it. You will be electrified by what God does for you in heaven with your leadership skills, and your leadership gifts. Imagine for a second that you are the son or daughter of Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest man in the world. Now, you have to kind of forget about the current scandal, okay? It's a mess. It's crazy. But he's the richest guy in the world. And, you know, you graduate from the university, and, and your father says, um, what do you want to do? I have all these companies. I own, I own Audible.com. I own Amazon.com. I own I own uh, Fabric.com, I own Whole Foods, I own Zappos. What do you want to do? You can do any of, any of that. Well, I think I'll, think I'll work for Zappos. Great, it's yours, go for it. Whatever you want to do in heaven with your resurrected body and your resurrected emotions, the Son of God is going to say, great, here you go. It's yours, get after it and do it. And I'm going to give you the power I'm going to give you the authority. I'm going to give you my spirit, and you're going to do it, and you're going to do it to the glory of God, and you're going to have fun doing it. That's you in heaven. Does that whet your appetite? I mean, how many of you have habits that you love, and you think, boy, I'd love... That's you in heaven. Doing what you love, working at what you desire for eternity. So we got a vision of God. We have a vision of people, now it goes back to the vision of, of God again, uh, from the throne come flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So the Holy Spirit is represented by these seven spirits. That doesn't mean that there are seven Holy Spirits. What it means is seven is the number of perfection. And the Spirit is there in glory. The Spirit is there in power. The Spirit is there to give you power so that you can be that light of God as you go do your work in the universe. Seven spirits of God represent the Holy Spirit of God. So notice we now have the three members of the Trinity here. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dynamically active around the throne. Uh-oh. But what's coming out of the throne? Flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. That doesn't sound very inviting does it? Well, that represents God's power to judge. I don't know if you've been in a big thunderstorm recently, but, um, you know, we've had our share of storms here in Oklahoma, and um, we know how bad thunderstorms are by what our dogs do in the thunderstorm, right? Have you ever had dogs who freak out in thunderstorms? Um, I remember being in a thunderstorm as a little kid on Nantucket Island, and we were in the village of Walwinet, and the ocean's on one side, the harbor's on the other side. I thought that the sea was going to come over the spit of land upon which our house was located 
I said to my dad, are, 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 we, are we okay? He says, yeah, we're, we're going to be fine. And by the way, it's your sister's birthday, and you need to go to the neighbors and get some eggs for a birthday cake. Okay, so I walked out in the storm, and it was just like, awesome. And this is a picture of the awesome nature of God who will judge. However, notice that there is before the throne a sea of glass-like crystal. So what that tells you is God's judgment has been taken care of in Christ. Why is that? It's because in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, there was a basin. And the priests would do their, their work of the sacrifice, and then we'd get dirty, dirty hands, dirty with blood. Dirty hands would be dirty with soot. Dirty hands would be dirty with with just the junk that would come by doing the sacrifice. So they would go over to the wash basin. They would, they would wash their hands. So the wash basin was dirty and choppy. This wash basin is crystal clear, like glass. In other words, our high priest Jesus has made a once-for-all sacrifice. Your sins have been atoned for. They've been taken care of. You are permanently forgiven of all your sins. You are in heaven not because of anything that you did in your own righteousness, but because the Son of God did that sacrifice and it was permanently and completely taken care of. It's an, ama- it's amazing, it's an amazing picture. Now we go to the next picture, which is the vision of angels. Remember, we're going from God to humans, God to angels. We're looking at God's relationship to his creatures. In the center and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, and actually that should read like an ox. Different versions read different words there. It should be like an ox. The third had a face like that of a man, and the fourth was a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings or full of eyes around within. Now, this is wonderful symbolic language, and what he's saying is that these these angelic beings um, with all the eyes, you cannot really picture these artistically, literally, because, I mean, how do you picture eyes around within, like eyes in the stomach, uh, eyes in the lungs, uh, eyes in the ears? I mean, this is symbolism. And the symbolism means that these living creatures have deep insight into the person of God. They know God through and through. They're not infinite, so they don't know God exhaustively, but they have deep insight into the person of God, and they're highly dignified personages, highly dignified because of the way they are portrayed. The lion is the noblest of the wild animals. The ox is the strongest of the domesticated animals. The eagle is the greatest among birds. The human beings are the pinnacles of God's creation. These are very dignified beings with great insight into the person and the power of God. What are they doing up there? Well, what we discover is that they are divine worship leaders. Day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Remember, we have the Trinity represented around the throne, and now we have a threefold attribution of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We have an ascription of holiness 
and an ascription of God's plan and the goodness and beauty of that plan, who was and is and is to come. These divine worship leaders, these angelic worship leaders, are calling out an attribute of God. And as they're calling out an attribute of God, something's about to happen. Before I tell you what that thing is, let's, let's remember the scene again. We go from God to humans to God to angels, and the whole point of this scene is that life in the new heavens and the new earth is filled with dynamic interactions. You see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dynamically interacting with each other. We see angels and humans dynam dynamically interacting with each other. Life in the new heavens and the new earth is filled with energy and purpose and power. It's the exact opposite of boring, which a lot of people think heaven is. Well, I guess I want to go there. I don't, don't really know what I'm going to do. I, I guess that's okay. If there's nothing better. Now, this, this is a scene of dynamism and purpose. That brings us to scene three. Angelic beings lead redeemed humanity in worship. Verse 9, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. I just love this. Because the living creatures express a diversity of praise. It's not just one type of praise. It's glory and honor and thanks. It's a diversity of praise, and they're calling out these attributes, and what, what do we do, the 24 elders? We take our, 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 our crown, we just throw them down before the feet of the, of the triune God. We bow before him, and we worship him, because we have now renewed insight into the person and the power of God. What I what happens then next is they, the 24 elders, cast the crowns before the, thr the th throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to provide glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Because of your will, they existed and were created. When he talks about that, he's not talking about this present creation. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth in which we reside. Now, pause and think it with me about this for a second. We get really confused about heaven. Like heaven is this place out in outer space, you know, way out in one of the galaxies. Heaven is some vague place out there. Don't know where it is. A little confused about it. In heaven, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The new heavens and the new earth is a reconstructed, recreated present heaven and earth. Now that, that is classic evangelical, biblical theology dating back 2,000 years. Heaven that you're going to is the new heavens and the new earth, and it is a reconstructed, renewed, renovated present heavens and, and, and earth. And you're going there, and you will have purpose in that place. Jesus will rule in that place from the new Jerusalem, and you will have power and authority and you will do things in that place representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet there will be these times of periodic worship events where you will appear before the triune God 
and you will take your crown and throw it down before him, and you will say, God, everything I am, everything I, every, everything I am is, is coming from you. You're, you're everything. I'm your servant. Whatever authority I have is, as, a, as a redeemed human being, it, it, it all goes back to you. I don't deserve this authority. I don't deserve these possessions. It all goes back to you. Notice we're going to worship God with our body. You know, we're going we're to bow before him. Our bodies will be thrown into worship. Part of the reason why at Grace Community Church we have opportunities to light candles for you to come forward, opportunities maybe to use the prayer benches, opportunities for you to uh, go receive prayer um, during the service, is we want you to do something with your body in worship. Because what you do in your body helps to change and shift the attitude of your soul on the inside. You know, so if you raise your hand in worship, just that act of raising your hand in worship can affect the state of your soul on the inside. Yeah, you know, I, I, you heard me use this illustration zillions of times, but I walk into my, into my grandchild's room after a nap. I'll say to my daughter, hey, can I get, can I get Bo up? Yeah, okay, great. Walk, in, walk into his room. What does Bo do? <coughs> Bo has a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's got his arms like this, saying, pick me up. I dare you. <laughs> no, 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 but Bo's like this. Papa, it's like this, expectant. What he's doing with his hands mirrors a desire in his soul. That's going to happen in heaven. That, that can happen, that can happen here, here, as, here as well. So <clears throat> all this leads then to this wonderful ascription of praise. Let me read it again. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things that are thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, and by your will they existed and were created. Praise for the new heavens and the new earth and the purpose that we have in that place. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the main idea. John is wetting our appetite for God and for our role in his great universe. Do you realize that you are an eternal being and you have a role in God's great universe? That ought to make you think, really, me? Yes, you have a role in God's great universe. And John is wetting our appetite for this. And we should do the same thing. You know, that's why Paul says in Colossians 3, if you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. Think about your destiny. Think about what you are about to encounter when you slip out of this life into the glory and power of the next one. Nourish your heart on that. Okay? The movie trailer was all, was all designed for that, for that to happen. So here's the main idea. Our worship encounters in heaven will progressively satisfy our deepest longings for all eternity. How many of you have deep longings that you're in touch with? Now, maybe I shouldn't have you raise your hand because a lot of us are not in touch with our deep longings. We're not in touch with them because we are immersed in trivia. The trivia of social media, the trivia of the next text I've got to do the trivia of the next website I need to check out, the trivia of the next shopping deal I can do on the internet. It's trivia, 
trivia, trivia, trivia. And so we, we, don't, we don't ever engage in what I would say is productive boredom. Like it's good to be bored sometimes. Because what it does is it makes you look inside. What am I really about as a person? Who am I, who am I really as a person? And what happens during those times, you get in touch with those deep longings. And you realize, I got longings that are not fulfilled. And you turn toward God. Well, our worship encounters in heaven will be progressively satisfied for all eternity. And what will happen is you'll be there for 10 years, if there are years, and you will have a lot of longings satisfied, but more longings will be awakened because you're in touch with an infinite God. You're there for 10 million years and Lots of longings are satisfied, but more will have been awakened because you're in touch with an infinite God. You're there for 10 billion years. Many, many longings are satisfied, but more have come up because you're in touch with an infinite God. Our longings will be progressively satisfied for all eternity in heaven. And what's kind of cool about this is that what this means is that heaven will never, ever be boring. And it won't be boring because... If an infinite God is there and you're a finite person, you cannot help but be excited in his presence. Like you're a finite being. You're limited. God's an infinite being. And every day you're going to learn new things about God. So day one, learn new things about God. Day five billion and 21, learn new things about God. Highest number is a Googleplex. You're there for a Googleplex number of years. You still know, will you know an infinite number of things about God? Not yet. Let's say you're there for a Googleplex of years. How much more is there to know about God? An infinite amount. Heaven can never be boring when a finite person is in touch with an infinite God. You'll, You'll never get to the point where you say, oh, brother, how long have you been here? Yeah, 10 million years. Mm, Yep. Been there, done that, seen it all. Never, never happened. So John has been whetting our appetite, helping us realize that we are going to have our longing satisfied for all eternity. You know, I won't read all of this, but in fact, I won't read it at all. C.S. Lewis talked about deep longings and how important it is for us to get in touch with those things. So here's some takeaways. Takeaway number one, begin with an awareness of his presence. The idea of God's omnipresence says that the entirety of God is contemporaneously present at every point in space. All of God is simultaneously there everywhere in space all through our universe 13.5 billion light years big. That's his omnipresence. God's manifest presence is the space where you encounter him personally. And our goal should be to encounter the manifest presence of God. So let's say you encounter a time in worship where God touches your heart. Your arms are lifted. There are tears coming down your face. You're encountering the manifest presence of God. That's awesome when that happens. But you are responsible for creating space in your heart where that manifest presence can come. And that begins with gratitude. 
So when Jared was talking in the interview about, about what to do in silence, you, you know, start with gratitude. God, I thank you that I'm here. I thank you that I could, I could be here and I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. Or maybe I'm not, I'm not super healthy, but, it, but, but I'm here. God, thank you that I'm breathing on my own. Thank you that I had a meal this morning. Thank you that I'm going to have a meal in about half an hour. God, thank you that I can have fellowship with people who love me unconditionally. You, you start with gratitude. Gratitude is the pathway to encounter the manifest presence of God, but, but begin with an awareness of his presence. And then secondly, get in touch with your deep longings. This is where my C.S. Lewis quote comes in. I won't read the whole thing, but he's talking about desires that are not fulfilled. And if you have desires that are not fulfilled, it's a, a signpost and a pointer that maybe there's a place where they will be fulfilled. So when you come in to Grace Community Church for worship, I encourage you to be in touch with those deep longings. You, you, may, you, may, um, you may say to yourself, I struggle with relationships. I'm coming to Grace this morning. I struggle with relationships. I have a deep longing that they be fulfilled. Well, come to the one who is the source of deep relationships. You may struggle with finances, and you have a yearning for economic security, and it's not there, and it may not be there for a while. Come to the one who's your provider and say, God, I've got this yearning for economic security. I don't have it, but you are my provider, and I love you, and you're good to me, and I rest in the goodness of my provider. Longings can move you in, into worship. Let's say you struggle with unfulfilled expectations in your career. You're not where you want to be. You're not in the job that you love. You say, God, I'm not where I want to be. And I have this yearning for something deeper and bigger. God, you are the one sovereign over my life. I worship you as the one who is sovereign. I don't know why I am where I am right now, but I'm going to worship you and thank you that I am in this place because you're good and you're big and you tell me to give thanks in all things, and I'm doing that right now. And then you allow that unfulfilled longing to move you into a space of worship. A lot of times people say, well, how, how do I get into the spirit of worship? Get in touch with your unfulfilled longings and come to God as the source of them. And then here's, here's the, the next one, and this is really important. Learn a repertoire of worship songs. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspires songs, and, uh, and hymns and spiritual songs. I just blew the verse. <laughs> anyway, hymns, spiritual songs. My encouragement to you is that you learn a repertoire of songs so that when the Spirit fills you, you have songs that immediately come, in, come into play. So I'm in high school, and I'm going to these amazing Bible studies, and we're doing this great worship, and I'm walking through the, the halls of high school singing the worship songs we're singing on Thursday night, uh, and a friend of mine said, hey, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit inspires you to sing. So we're going to help you with this because Grace now has a Spotify account, and we have all the current worship songs that we're singing in our repertoire on the Spotify account. I encourage you to get out your phone right now and take a picture of the, of, of the screen um, you can also go to our website, but this is an easy way to do it right now. And get on Spotify and, um, and start, 
start listening to these songs. I'm doing that when I'm walking the dog, and I'm, I'm enjoying this because I'm, I'm getting used to the songs. So, I, so when I come to Grace on Sunday morning, I can be more in tune and, t- and in touch with what we're doing. Uh, this Spotify account is also um, going to be available for you if you want on, on your smartphone. So if you walk your dog or whatever you do, with, and you can listen to the smartphone. But it's Grace We Sing. It's a, it's a, a bit.ly one, so it's going to be, you got to have to remember to, to do all that stuff. But it's important to learn a repertoire of songs. We want to help you with that. So what I want us to do now is transition back into worship. We, we did worship the, the message before, before the worship this morning so that we can apply some of the things we've talked about this morning.